Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Hello. Please be aware that this is not actually the preach that I gave at Billingshurst Family Church on Sunday the 27th of October. Unfortunately, something went wrong with the recording and um, I've therefore recorded this about a week later. And uh, this is our fourth preach in our Judges Sermon series, um, where mercy triumphs over judgment, looking at the stories of Ehud and Shamgar. And one, one thing you can say about the book of Judges is that the people God chooses and the methods that he used to save his people were very different each time. Each story is very different. And the two guys we're going to be looking at this, this morning are completely different from any of the other Judges. The way they were used by God to save his people was definitely unique to each one of them. This reminds us that while our God is consistent in character and also he's reliable in his love and protection and the way that he cares for us, he's not at all predictable and he's not restricted in how he operates or who he, who he chooses to use to fulfil his purposes. But both of our heroes today do share one thing in common. They were not likely or obvious heroes. And with apologies to those who are maybe not as interested in sports as I am, a great example of this is the bespeckled cricketing hero of England's one-off test match with Ireland in the summer, Jack Leach. Uh, As a warm-up to the Ashes Test Series, England were playing a team that they could have easily or should have easily beaten. Yet Ireland managed to bowl them out for just 85 runs. And despite a rocky start in their own innings, they still managed a respectable score of 207. It wasn't looking good for England. Uh, It looked like there was going to be a shock defeat on the cards. Jack Leach, a bowler, sometimes used as a night watchman, someone who probably only ever scored less than 10 runs every time, started for the single over that England had to play at the end of the first day. He not only survived those six balls, he went on to score 92 runs, and he provided, helped to provide a platform for England to score 303 in their second innings and bolt Ireland out for 83, so avoiding the embarrassment of losing to a team that had only previously played two test matches. This bowler, not in the team, certainly not in his, the team for his batting skills, became a hero and he was famous for calmly cleaning his glasses between overs and he was rightly named Man of the Match, which just goes to show that anyone can be a hero even those may be not the ones you might expect. And this morning we're going to look at the story of these two men and see the amazing way God used them, despite their obvious limitations, and see how this shows that God can use us, even though we may feel we are of little use and don't have anything to offer. And I'm just going to pray before we look at God's word. Yeah, Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's always profitable for teaching, for encouragement, for challenge, And there's always something in it for each one of us. And Father God, I just pray that you'll just open up the ears of those that are listening now to what you're going to say and help me to bring your truth. And uh, really that your words will go and have an impact and will change each person who hears it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, Nick looked at how God quit Othniel with his Holy Spirit to save the people. But now Othniel's died and um, the people of Israel have soon slipped back into their usual pattern of ignoring God and doing what they want. 
and so God allows them again to endure another oppressor to inflict, who would inflict suffering upon them. So we're going to start reading from um, Judges 3, verse 11. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kinaz, died. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. So while Othniel lived, they thrived under his strong godly leadership. But unfortunately, once he died, it seemed that any change was superficial. And they soon go back to their evil ways. And they started to follow the practices of their pagan neighbours. They worshipped other gods and they lived as they did ignoring the call to live differently from them. So this time, God allows the king of the Moabites, Eglon, along with his Ammonite and Amalekite allies, to defeat them and oppress them. And from what we read later, it would appear that they set themselves up in Jericho, called here the City of Palms, demanding tribute. And I think this would have left the Israelites starving and in poverty. And after 18 years, they finally get the message that their only hope is to turn to God for relief. And then we read on from verses 15 to 17. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. There is a lot of detail in this account. And um, one of the key facts about Ehud in this passage is that he was a left-handed man. Now, this could have been simply to explain his preparation and why he, he hid his weapon on his right side. But there may have been more behind the importance of this observation. The commentator Michael Wilcox in the Bible Speaks Today commentary suggests that the Hebrew phrase used to describe him as left-handed may have actually meant his left hand was withered. If this was the case, it probably meant he may not have been seen as a threat to the king, and this may even have been the reason he was specifically chosen to deliver the tribute. But anyway, regardless of how he ended up being left-handed, he then decides to use this to his advantage. He makes himself a small dagger, about 18 inches in length, with an edge on both sides. He carefully wraps it and straps it to the right side of his body. I mean, he doesn't want to be bleeding, does he? A place much less likely to be searched, um, as it would not have been a place where a right-handed man would have had a weapon. And then he very cleverly gets himself alone with the king to carry out what seems to be a well-prepared plan. And we carry on reading in verse 18. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gigal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, 
and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the excrement came out. Then Ehud went into the porch, out into the porch, and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and locked them. Ehud and the guys with him endure this shameful task of submitting to Eglon, giving him this tribute. And in all of this, Ehud manages not to give away his intentions. And as they leave, Ehud asks for an opportunity to bring a message, or as some translations say, a secret word from God to the king. The king falls for this, hook, line and sinker. He takes Ehud into his private room, away from anyone who could prevent what is about to happen. Ehud then swiftly draws out his concealed weapon and thrusts it into the king's belly, to the point that it disappears, because as we were told earlier, the king is very fat. And from the gory description, it seems to have caused his bowels to spill out, and he falls down dead. Ehud then coolly locks the doors, and he leaves, not giving away what he has done. Verse 24. And when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber... They took the key, opened them, and there lay their lord dead on the floor. And Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sira. The king's servants are too embarrassed to unlock the door, the doors and go back in, thinking that the king was going to the toilet. This gives Ehud time to make good his escape before they finally open the door and find their, ki- their king dead on the floor. There's a kind of dark humour at play here as the servant's embarrassment turns to horror, with the delay allowing Ehud to escape and complete his plan to lead the, the Israelites to victory. Verse 27. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down from, with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the falls of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time around 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. And it seems obvious, doesn't it, that what follows was also prepared and planned. That by blowing the war trumpets, Ehud confirms his success in assassinating the king. The people seized the crossing points on the Jordan that the Moabites had to use to leave Israel as they returned with their tribute. A highly sensible military strategy preventing their enemy outflanking them. And so they win a resounding victory and they enjoy 80 years of freedom. But even this does not last and God eventually raises up another unlikely hero, Shamgar, to save them again. And we read in verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. We don't know much about Shamgar. His account is very short, uh, but we can glean from his name that he was not an obvious choice. And also, his weapon was not really a weapon at all. It's a farming implement. His name, Shamgar, is Hurian. It's not an Israelite name. And the designation son of Anath is not saying who his, his dad is, but it's the name of a Canaanite warrior god. 
And ironically, on this occasion, it may be that God used a non-Israelite, or at least someone who wasn't a full Israelite, to save them. A believer, of course, but one probably not fully accepted as one of them. And of course, his weapon was not a weapon as such, although obviously quite effective. It was a farmer's tool, probably an eight foot long pole with a sharp point at one end and a small shovel for cleaning up manure at the other end. So here we have another unlikely hero with another unlikely weapon. Ehud and Shamgar were both unlikely heroes. Ehud may have been disabled, probably wasn't a warrior. Shamgar maybe not even an Israelite, definitely not a warrior, more likely a farmer. Yet God in his wisdom chose both of them. Maybe this was to show to the people that it was he who delivered them and not man. And they both used unlikely methods. Ehud used guile, subterfuge and a concealed weapon. Very underhand, violent and ruthless to us. But I think before we judge, we must be careful to remember their situation. They had suffered 18 years of exploitation, oppression and near starvation. Shamgar killed over 80 Philistines, who we know were fierce and effective warriors, using whatever came to hand. And while they and the methods they used resulted in deliverance, ultimately it is clear that their rescue was from God and only happened because he had heard their cries and in his mercy decided to save them from their oppressors. And this points us and reminds us of another unlikely hero. A man who came of very humble stock, who had spent most of his life performing a manual job in a village so obscure we're even now not sure where it was. And yet he was used by God to save people through an even more unlikely method involving great suffering and terrible shame. The ultimate hero, who every judge of God, of every judge of course points to, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure if I had chosen a hero to save the world, I would have chosen him to be a carpenter, a humble working man. And I certainly would not have chosen such a shameful, painful, drawn out death, such as the one he endured on the cross. And yet, this unlikely hero in his unlikely method did bring salvation, and not just for a nation, and not just for a time and a season, but for the whole world and for all time. But of course, Jesus was not, as the world saw him, a man of no importance. But he was the man who was also God. And what seemed a crushing, terrible defeat was actually a triumphal victory, as the sacrifice of the sinless Son of God achieved salvation for all who would believe and trust in him. Because God's methods are not the ones that are always obvious to us or that we expect, but they are always the ones that achieve his purposes and always bring deliverance for those he chooses to save. And even more amazingly, God can and does use us as unlikely heroes to carry on the mission that Jesus started. Because God does not wait for us to be ready to be used by him, just like he did with Ehud and Shamgar. In fact, sometimes those things we think disqualify us are actually the very things that enable God to use us to help others. And I think if God can use me, an introvert, who dislikes being the centre of attention, to stand up and teach from his word, then maybe he can use you too. It was a few years ago, but I still remember how nervous and self-conscious I was when I first had a go at preaching. I was probably rubbish. But I persevered because I felt that God had called me, that he had gifted me, 
and I'm probably still not that amazing at preaching. But I know God has used me to bless people, to help them in their understanding and in living as a follower of Jesus. I've even seen one or two decide to follow Jesus, God amazing me as one of the many links in a chain that have brought them to a point of deciding to trust Jesus. But also God has used me in unexpected ways. And this is a story I've shared before, but I think it's really helpful because it's not about how good I was. But it's a great example of how God can use us despite our limitations. I was coming back from a flight from Athens to Heathrow. Um, I was absolutely exhausted. I'd returned from a week-long work event. I found myself sat next to a lady who had flown in from South Africa. And she was going to be re-engaging with her prodigal daughter, now living in London. In conversation it transpired she was a believer and was feeling concerned and worried about how she would be received and how she would get on with her daughter. And to my lasting shame I was reluctant to carry on talking because I needed sleep. But God was gracious with me and in the end I realised he had put me next to her to encourage her so that she would know that she was not alone and that God was with her at this difficult time. And we ended up spending all of the flight time chatting. I don't actually know what happened with her and her daughter, but I know that despite my tiredness and initial unwillingness, God used me to help her at a very vulnerable time. And when I got home, I'd spent some time catching up with Sue and the kids. I then went to bed and woke up after sleeping uninterrupted for 10 hours. See, the issue for most of us, it certainly was for me, that we have the wrong focus. We concentrate on our limitations or where we will compare ourselves with others because we think they're much more capable than we are. That may or may not be true. And we rule ourselves out before we've even started. Instead of focusing on God and how he promises to give us what we need to play our part in helping him achieve his purposes. See, Ehud was not a great warrior, but he was the man God chose. And he was the man that God put in the right place at the right time. Shamgar was some kind of outcast, either partly or completely foreign. But God used him. In fact, in both cases, he seemed to ignore others who may well, in human eyes, have been much more gifted and equipped than they were. You know, Shamgar could have complained he didn't have a sword, but instead he just got on with the job, using what he had to hand, not waiting for an ideal situation to arise. And this makes me think, what have I missed doing for God? You know, waiting for the ideal circumstance or the ideal time, which of course rarely ever happens. What more more could we have seen God do here in this church, in this place, if we had focused more on the amazing truth that God seems to delight in using the unqualified, the weak, the insecure, those ill-equipped and least likely to succeed? Because in the end, it's not about our ability or disability, our weakness or even our strength. It's not about our resources or the little we have. Look what Jesus did with a boy's small lunch, a couple of fish and five small loaves. He ended up feeding thousands of hungry people. God can and does use us. Even if we are the most unlikely heroes and the methods he uses are not the ones we would necessarily first think of. Jesus, our great deliverer, the ultimate hero, is the best example of how God used someone who was willing and ready to do whatever God suggests, even when it seemed foolish. And it is ridiculous because we are nothing special. But in the hands of the king, we are unlikely heroes, using often unlikely methods to help save people from the slavery of sin and help them to move to what 
Tim was sharing with us last week when he looked at John 10, this abundant life of knowing God and being known by him. It's not what we can or can't do that is the issue. It's what God has asked us to do and whether we trust him to give us what we need to do it. I'm going to pray. Yeah, Father God, I want to thank you for the example of these two men and the way that you used them, even though they weren't quite the sort of people you might think they could have been. They didn't have it all together. They didn't have all the things that they needed. But they were willing to be used by you and you used them to save their people. And Father God, I just want to pray that you'll change your thinking so that we don't focus on you, but that we focus on So we do focus on you and we don't focus on ourselves. So that we are then able to be used by you in your purposes and your plans to save people and set people free. And Father God, I just pray that you just release us from anything that will stop us doing that. Whether it's comparing ourselves with others, whether it's looking at our limitations, Lord. I pray you just release us from that. Remind us of who you are and what you can do. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I just want to just finish with a couple of things, just to, to remind us, really. There are things that stop us from becoming unlikely heroes. And probably the, the one that I felt God really put on my heart is, a, is comparing ourselves with, other, with others. And then the other one, really, is focusing on our limitations. And to deal with this, there's just a couple of things we really need to do. We need to repent and we need to obey. We just need to say to God, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to compare myself with others. I'm not going to focus on my limitations. I'm going to look at you and what you can do through me. And then when God asks us to do whatever it is he asks us to do, we just need to get on and do it. 